Hi, I'm so excited about this guest today. And we, um, I was telling you just a minute ago, but we had, I had dinner with one of our amazing surrogates who is on her second journey. And she um, chose surrogates to be uh, the one to manage the second journey. And I'm so excited because I had the opportunity to follow her on her first journey. And one of the neat perspectives that we have that she didn't have on her first journey was having the ongoing psych support. The psych, the, I, we call it psych support, sounds scary. It's not, it's really an opportunity for these women to have somebody who understands and be able to navigate some of these hurdles that surrogates might come up against. We hope that they don't, but they might. And she had shared during this dinner how amazing Allison has been for her just in this little bit of time and how excited she was to have this ongoing support. So I was really excited to be able to get on with her today and be able to pick her brain, all of the understandings of why are psychological screenings necessary and what is the value in that? Super excited. And Allison's really special. She's really special. She's one of the um, first people that I met when I entered into the surrogacy field six or seven years ago. And I always loved working with her and I felt like our ethics were really aligned. And um, I was so excited to have her come and be part of our support system for the surrogates and the agency that we're designing and what we want that support to look like. Because even if you're not gonna encounter hurdles or tragedies during your journey, it's an emotional process and it's such a unique process. And there's nobody else in your life that even if you have the most supportive partner and the most supportive family and the most supportive work colleagues, you know, everything, they're not gonna understand the nuanced aspects of communication with your intended parents, communication with your agency, managing expectations, being clear, and having somebody who's a professional to talk through those things with is such a huge value that I wish that I had in all of my journeys. And so I'm really excited that we get to be able to provide that to others. And especially with someone as cool as Allison. So She's I'm so really, cool. really excited to have her on today. Yes. Yes. I was so excited to see you, Allison. I know. This is exciting. I was like, am I going to see them? Who's going to be on it? This Everybody's going to see it when we have it. It's going to, it's going to go viral. We get to drop it into our, our, um, close Facebook group and say, look at, look at who we have as this amazing human who also does the ongoing support and the psychological screening. So good. I love it. Yeah. It's a good chance for people to kind of get to know me and know what to expect. Yeah. So do you want yeah. to start yeah. off by You're introducing not. yourself and, yeah. and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Yeah. So my name's Allison. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I just recently moved to Northern California and I'm a wife and I have two boys that are 11 and 15. Um, so I currently have my own practice. And then I also, as you know, provide psychological screenings um, and support for gestational carriers. So that's something that's been a part of my life for quite a while. Um, gosh, I didn't even count. So maybe like six years now um, I've been doing that. And, um, but I've been in the mental health field for like nearly 10 years. I've been licensed for over five years. Um, and just, you know, to give a little background as to like what got me into it is really is like my own healing. I just in my twenties decided to go to therapy 
And I had always been kind of like the resident therapist of like life. And it just, you know, it fit. And it was definitely something that I knew was my calling. Um, and then the surrogacy part, you know, going into kind of the world of fertility was never like the goal, but I have children. I loved my pregnancies. Like I was very like Zen and into my pregnancies. People thought that was so weird at the time because I, you know, not a lot of women love to be kind of pregnant and go through that, all those kind of stages. Um, and I just like was looking for a different position and I saw an ad for like a surrogacy, surrogacy support person, but it was like a mental health aspect. And I was like, what's this? Mm -hmm. And it just kind of fell into my lap and it just really has been something that I knew that I could do. And I'm really good at it, mm -hmm. you know, like connecting with women, connecting with, um, with pregnancy. And so supporting surrogates has just like made sense. It's just all kind of flowed. And you actually started this process yourself some time ago too, mm -hmm. and kind of being the, the shoe on the other foot, so to say, as a mm -hmm. entering in the process of surrogacy. I'd love to hear a little bit about that too. Yeah. So I think working in the surrogacy field, you kind of like, well, I wonder what this is about, you know, and you start to see how amazing the experiences are for the surrogates. And you're kind of, it's like, I want to feel that. I want to know what that's like. Um, and I was in the, I was really immersed in helping other surrogates. So it made so much sense for me, especially loving being pregnant. Um, so when I worked for an agency, I decided to just like try and see if, if I'd be a good candidate and I was matched and the matching process was, um, this was all like pre COVID. So I felt like it was very different. Um, and yeah. it was, it was intense and it was like exciting and, um, I really had a voice in it. I made sure I had a voice and I think that was something that. Um, I didn't know if I could have a voice in being matched. Um, you know, did I have to just kind of take whatever? Could I say what my preference was? And so um, I decided on a same-sex couple uh, from Brussels, and they were amazing. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with them. So that just made it all like, yes, this is what I want to do. Um, and I did go through uh, one transfer that didn't take which I think is super important to talk about um, because that's not really normalized. Um, and that was disappointing, but the second one took. And at that time um, I was doing the, you know, I had been on hormones for quite a while. And at 10 weeks, we found out that there wasn't a heartbeat. So that was really, really difficult. So not only have I gone through the whole process up till getting pregnant, being pregnant, almost through the full trimester, um, and then ending up, I mean, technically kind of miscarrying, we did a DNC, um, and that was really difficult. And I chose to allow them to go with another surrogate just to kind of, I think I wanted to take a break. Timing was a thing for them. My body really needed a break. Um, and they were really on a timeline. So we just, with love, we're like, okay. Let's, and they were matched right away and they ended up having a healthy baby boy. I love that. Yeah. They did. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. I always wondered how that ended. I remember when you were going through that journey and when you were 
just starting to think about it and we were, because that's where we met was yep. during that time, that time period. Um, and I remember how exciting all the steps were for you and then how disheartening and mm -hmm. when it didn't end up the way that you had hoped. I always think it's really one of those things that we don't talk about with surrogates a lot is the failed transfers and the possibility of miscarriage and failed transfer. And I think part of it is because you want to be really optimistic and you want to give energy to positivity and, and all those things. But at the same time, I think making space to feel all your feelings and disappointment for those things is important. But I never know what to say to someone when they're experiencing that, like finding mm -hmm. the words. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not, I'm grateful yeah. that there are people like you there to support. Yeah, it's, oh, I mean, and I think the, the most important thing to understand is there really are no words. It's like just being there is the, um, the only thing you can do. I remember I called my, um, my colleague at the time and I just like broke down and, you know, you just kind of, there's nothing that really can console you, uh, much except to just be heard. And it just helps to tell somebody. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. Like, you know, it's, it's not something that you, um, you anticipate is going to happen, but it's always, I mean, it's a possibility. And I think it's just important through the process of preparing a surrogate, um, psychologically, like, Hey, just so you know, this happens and this is normal. Uh, I'm not saying it's something to expect. I'm just saying, uh, science is science and we can only go so far and then the magic has to happen. Right. So that's not a failure on your part. It's just, it didn't take and it didn't happen or, you know, the embryo, it didn't uh, make it into, you know, it wasn't viable. So, um, it's just important to have those conversations, I think, um, prior to all of the transfer happening. Well, and it's, and it's so important to understand that you're not alone in that. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, and when you're first pursuing this process of surrogacy and you have that psychological screening, the first question a lot of these women have is why is that even necessary? What, what's the reason to do the psychological screening and understand kind of what are those next steps going to look like if I pursue this process and what things hurdles might I be up against and not necessarily negative things, but things that you have, maybe you didn't even consider. And it's really important to do that. So what do you see being one of the most valuable pieces of that initial psychological screening and really the why behind why we do those? Yeah, I think for me, when I'm in my, you know, therapy brain, because you have to kind of you split yourself. Um, and so when I'm in my professional kind of like realm, um, safety. So I am really concerned with the safety of this unborn child um, and the safety and well-being of the surrogate um, and what that experience will I have to paint a picture, you know, Hey, this, this is what it could look like. And this is what it can feel like. Are you emotionally ready for this? And so it's my job to kind of like behind the scenes assess, you know, I'm observing, um, I'm, we, we take a, we have them take a personality test called the PAI. And that really is super helpful engaging how they think and how they may respond and react to certain, certain situations. Um, and so I, when I interview them, I get a really good feel of that as well, but really just making sure that they are stable emotionally, um, that um, their well-being um, is always going to be considered. And I want them to know that so that they feel safe. 
um, but also make sure that they their intentions are good, right? Like the motive behind this is, I don't want to say pure, because that just sounds silly, but I mean, is, is good, is well-intended and there's having good intentions and then there's like follow through. So we have to be able to paint a picture of scenarios that could happen and how might they handle it? Um, because relationships are really important in this process. So relationships with not with the agency, with the medical professionals and with the intended parents, their support system. So it's just important to kind of like get a full picture, a well-rounded picture. Yeah, so true. We have surrogates who will say, well, my spouse doesn't agree with surrogacy and they want to just, um, they don't, they aren't for it. And I think I'm going to pursue surrogacy and, and who cares, you know, and, and we say, actually, it's so important that your spouse and your partner is on board and that you have a good support network. Can you kind of talk to that a little bit? Why? I mean, we know, and I share that, but I'd love to hear kind of your insight to why that's so important in having a good support network and everybody be on board with this. Yeah. I think it's funny because I was just talking to a couple and they were telling me that like, there's, you know, at first not understanding, not understanding what it's about and not really getting what it is, is different than not supporting. So one of the, um, the husbands, I was, I was talking to him and he was like, at first I didn't really understand what it was. And then once it was explained to me in details, like, oh yeah, like, okay, this is different. This is interesting. And I would fully support her. That's different than having a spouse. That's like, no, you know, this is not something I want you to do. I'm not going to support you because your home environment is crucial, critical. Mm -hmm. So if, if there's not a support system at home, I really don't see that being a beneficial or positive environment for a surrogate to thrive in during her journey. You know, that's, that's doing a disservice to her, to the baby, to the intended parents. And so there's also families that, you know, um, surrogates can be really close to, but feel like they're not as supportive. And I feel like when there's that distance where it's like, well, my mom or my dad, they don't understand it. They don't really support it. Or maybe we're not telling them, you know, there are some, some surrogates that decide not to tell their extended family. Um, and they don't live near them and they, you know, all those things. So that's, I think that's different than what's happening in the home. And so we have to look at, you know, is this like an ex-husband that doesn't support you, but he, you know, doesn't have as much involvement or isn't living at home, but maybe they co-parent. So that's something that needs to be considered. So there's just all types of scenarios that I don't think we think about yeah. that do have to be considered. Yeah, so true. Yeah, I think having the partner's support also, it, in addition to just that being really stressful conflict in the environment, there's also, of course, the aspects of legal and parentage and all of those things that go into it too. But I wonder um, when you're doing that initial interview, do you always require the partner to be part of it? Or what are your thoughts on if the partner's not part of it? Do you think that that's effective or? You know, that's a good question. Um, and it's funny because normally I'll have like a very uh, firm stance on things. And that one, I'm a little bit, mm, I'm not, it's not critical for me to have the partner there. Um, but it's super duper helpful. 
And um, so here's a couple ways of looking at it. Like if I just do a one-on-one -on -one with a surrogate and we're just, there's no partner involved. When I, I may ask a lot more extensively about the relationship and based on what I hear, that might let me know that mm, I think we might need to have the partner come in um, and, and I can gauge, you know, body language and the way they're talking about their partner, whether maybe it's a healthy relationship or maybe we need to, some red flags. Um, and also the, the PAI will give me some insight into that. So when I read, you know, the report on that, I can kind of gauge, I think we need to pull the partner in. Um, but when the partner's there, it's funny because I typically, I feel so at ease. Like I feel so much, I feel like, so, I feel so much better about, oh yeah, I mean, this is an amazing couple. You know, I really am just excited for them. I'm able to share in that with them. And I think the partner gets a lot out of it too. It's like, oh good. I feel involved. I get to meet the person that's going to be supporting, you know, my partner. And, um, and I think that we just kind of are able to share experiences and I think they feel included. And then it also puts me at ease and I have a much easier time saying, absolutely, this is it. Or on the flip side, you know, if, if it's not a good, if it's not a good fit, then I can make that call too. Another question I wanted to ask you, Allison, I think is really important for surrogates that are just getting ready for their psych evaluation. They're really scared. Typically they're afraid that they're going to be disqualified or that the mission of the, of the psych evaluation is to catch them and disqualify them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because we're always like, we've jumped so many hoops before we get to that stage. We're always kind of waiting like, oh, the records got approved. What next? You know? And so I wonder if there's anything you could say to women to ease their mind about the psych evaluation and whether or not they should be scared and <laughs> turning into that. Oh, that's so funny. That's cute, actually. Um, because they definitely put on, they're on their best behavior with me for sure. But in like the cutest way initially, it's like, really, I'm just, just be yourself. Just yeah. like, take a breath, be yourself. Some of them are like, I'm super nervous. I'm really anxious. I'm afraid I'm not going to pass. And I'm like, oh my gosh, no. And I just let them know I'm on your side. I want you to pass. So don't, don't, you know, any, any like jitters you have, if you have questions prior to it, um, let me know because the it, this isn't to to kind of like catch them. And I know that we are technically up to that point, right? You're screening for things constantly, even even mentally. I mean, that you have to go through like a screening process and ask really important, crucial questions that will I don't want to say weed weed some surrogates or their um, you know are they qualified. But when they come to me, it's more or less like, I, I'm on your side. I want you to win. So anything that you have to ask me now, ask me. Or don't be afraid to, you know, ask me during the process. Um, I try to ease their fears and let them know that this is truly just a way to get to know them. And the PAI is really just to find out how they think. Um, be yourself. Because if there's something going on, an underlying issue, it's going to, it's going to pick up on it just by them being themselves. So, um, you know, it's, it's more one of those things, just you don't have to do anything different or anything special. And I'm kind of like always rooting for, for the surrogates. And so I don't want them to think that I'm, they're judging or analyzing things so critically, you know, that I'm going to like, you know, uh, misunderstand them. And I'm always going to clarify too. 
So like if they say something that I'm like, eh, then I'll just clarify with deeper questions. Um, and typically that takes care of any type of concerns I have. So, yeah, when I'm scheduling those, you have surrogates who will say, oh, man, I'm so nervous. And what is this going to entail? And I tell them, I said, listen, this is just an opportunity for another professional to really speak to the process and making sure you have that good support. It doesn't have to be, you could be a single person with great support system. You know, if you have family, friends that live close by that you can lean on through this process and then getting into the, why do you need good support? You know, the appointments that you're attending, really understanding the communication relationship with the intended parents and how when the intended parents are going through this, maybe they're going to be a little more reserved in the very beginning because they mm -hmm. haven't got to this place and they've been holding their breath because they're waiting for that other shoe to drop, you know? So that perspective from knowing that they're going into this to understand, to get more tools in their toolbox to be successful in their journey is really kind of how I try to phase it. So they know this isn't like you're tested and, oh, sorry, you didn't pass the test. You should have got a 99 and you got a 97. No, this is an opportunity for us to really understand who you are, why you want to do this, and what does that support system look like for you? I love what, that. Yeah. What would you say the um, might be a disqualifier? What would, what would be something that you would see as a concern or a red flag, something that you – I would say – I see more times than anything, it's not a hard disqualifier, but maybe timing isn't right from some of the psychologists that I've worked with in the past. What are those things that you look for that might yeah. be concerning? So um, interview wise, that's, I feel like that's more of my judgment call, my ethics, right? Um, and so it's, it is really important with like the mental health professional you're working with because you could have somebody who's super, super rigid and you need to make sure that your values align with the agency with, you know, just like even honestly the field. Um, and so for me, that's a whole different animal. The PAI is really cut and dry. But the funny part is, is most of us have taken a personality test in our lifetime. And we don't even realize it. Um, maybe it was a really long time ago. It was for work. So we just never really thought about it. Um, and so a lot of times when they're taking the PAI, they're like, oh, I think I've taken something like that before. Um, it's like, yeah, you probably have. And so that can kind of like help ease nerves. Um, but that will tell me um, if there is, it will actually give them a diagnosis. If there's something that they're answering questions consistently with a, with a, a mental health, you know, disorder, it will actually just like put in there what they would put as a diagnosis and that can, that will make or break it. Um, but in the interview process, um, yeah, the, the automatic DQs would be things like active, anything, anything that is currently active, that is detrimental to the process to the the surrogate's body and then which means also the baby's body um and any risk so any any risk so like substance abuse um if there's a history of substance abuse um alcohol um and then mental health you know stuff so like i would say schizophrenia because we would have to be on medication that's too risky um, there's, you know, 
there's disorders like bipolar disorder that require um, medication. And that is a very risky diagnosis for somebody carrying someone else's child. Um, personality disorders. Um, those are really, really tough to treat and would not be an ideal candidate for a surrogate. Um, so, so those are things right there. Active depression or anxiety are things where if we've suffered from depression or anxiety in the past, which I'm going to tell you guys right now, we all suffer from depression and anxiety and all types of feelings that we can label and do it. we just exist on a spectrum. And it's like, is it active? Are you on medication? Have you ever been on medication? It's just, there's so many, you know, ways that we can look at this. And so it's, it's on me to gauge, um, what their kind of their readiness at that time. Um, and also being able to clear them from that is kind of like a separate thing. Like if, if it was really recent, we may need to look at, okay, we need to get a clearance letter from whoever diagnosed you with that, um, trauma. If there is, you know, recent trauma, um, unprocessed trauma that can affect the experience or affect their mental state during the process, emotional stability is just really important. So, um, as you were saying before, you know, maybe now is not the time that can be, um, I was thinking about that and that can be like, let's just say somebody, you know, very close to them recently passed away and they've been grieving really hard. Um, maybe a relationship freshly ended and there is a lot going on at home, right? Lots of stress. Um, sometimes I'll say, Hey, what if you come back in six months? And let's grieve. Let's get you some counseling. Let's, um, you know, let's get through this, this hardship. It doesn't mean you're not going to be amazing. It just means right now it's not going to be a beneficial for you. And this is going to create, you know, another thing on your plate. And it's not easy. This process is not easy. So, you know, um, like you said before, really preparing them emotionally for what this, this may look like is my job too. And so letting them know that I don't suggest, and I don't think that you're ready to do this just yet. So like life circumstances are probably the biggest thing where I say, I think we should probably give it like six months to a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I'm curious too, when you're making that sort of assessment, how do, I, I think, some people think, well, I want to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts on second opinion in psych or surrogacy? What's best practices? And what have you seen that you thought is not as ethical as it? So like if the agency were to say, we want to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not opposed to it. Now, I think there has to be a level of trust with the agency and the professional they're working with. And I then question who I'm working with sometimes, if that's the case. So if I am saying, hey, this is a hard no, and my agency's saying, well, we're gonna get a second opinion, that tells me like, not it's, I'm not worried about if you value my professional opinion, I'm worried about what your intention is. So is it so important that is it because you don't feel like you could find another match for the intended parents? Is it because you feel like you want to like drive these, you know, 
sir, is, is this money? Is this finances? So I kind of have to take a step back and look at, hmm, what's the, what's the, the kind of, um, the culture here and like, am I comfortable with this? But in reality, it's like, I honestly, if it's something that's not a hard no, and it could be, it's just my ethics and my, what my judgment call, I'm not opposed to that. I'm really not. And, and, um, sometimes maybe if there's something else that's seen that I didn't see or something else that can be understood and, and, um, signed off on by somebody else, that's, that's on them. You know, so I just kind of like I, I'm not I don't get personally uh, involved. But at the same time, I think when it's the hard DQs that I would never be OK passing, that's where I go. Mm, I don't under, I'm not really sure if this is like an ethical relationship. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen agencies that do have done that pushed past and gone to who are maybe known professionals that are known to sign off on everyone. And there unfortunately are those people in this field. Um, And then we've also had instances where we've had surrogates that we've gotten to know that have had one of these interviews where uh, a professional determined that she didn't feel like this surrogate, this case I'm thinking of, didn't feel like she was ready because she had five children at home and she had a child with disabilities. Mm -hmm. I think Down syndrome specifically, mm-hmm. and the therapist felt that there is no way that somebody with that many children and a child with special needs could handle the additional stress of. Mind you that, day. yeah, that, mind you that that professional had no kids of her own to mm-hmm. be able to really articulate and had made a few statements of I don't know I how think I she had one that. yeah I think she had one child and she was like I couldn't do it with one I don't know how she could do it with five no. so, like, and she did pass the the testing too so it wasn't as though it was the it was the meeting afterwards that she had made the assessment that she wasn't qualified and I remember kind of feeling like and then talking with some other professionals who've been doing this a long time, Sunshine and I kind of came to this process of it's not the job to be the gatekeeper, but rather mm-hmm. to really make sure it's safe for these women to pursue surrogacy and the intended parents to start this process with somebody that has really understands the seriousness of this. You know, it's our job to make sure and assess, does she medically qualify? Does she psychologically qualify? Does she got a good support system? And if she does, then it's then it's our job to support her through that, but not to say because you have five kids, I don't know how you manage that. You know, I mean, we do all day long, right? We we manage things that we never thought we could in the beginning. She went on to have an amazing experience, um, being she such she a thoughtful. She had a beautiful journey, and she went on to be an, an amazing surrogate. But then there, of course, there are those cases where people psych shop, as you know, they say. Yeah. Like, find somebody that's going to say yes. And, and I never would want to give anyone the impression that that's something that we would ever do or condone because really uh, our heart, and I know yours as well, is to protect women Mm -hmm. and to make sure that they're, to empower them, to encourage them, to advocate for them and to support them. Um, Yeah. Not push them into something that's going to be unsafe for them. We would never. And I think, you have, and that's, there's professional opinion and personal opinion. And we have to take our own emotional kind of like 
stay out of it. it this is, you know, you have to you wear different hats. So when I'm doing um, an evaluation, my concern is going to, it's always like to, um, okay, well, how, how can we look at this differently? So what kind of support system do you have? You know, you have five children, you have one with a disability. So what, what's support look like at home? And if it's like, well, I have a loving family and I have, you know, help. And yes, there's a lot of services that are provided and resources in and out of, you know, my home that are really, it's a, it's a tribe raising my kids. And that is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so like the collect, the collectiveness of that is really positive. And I think that as long as you have um, intended parents that are comfortable with that, you know, I think that this is like, this is something that this is just, this is a group effort. And if we find somebody that is, that are a, a pair of IPs, one IP, who is supportive of that, who, um, you know, believes in this surrogate. And it's really the mental health professional that's saying, well, I don't understand how you could have the time to be pregnant with all of these children and have, you know, that's not for the professional to, to like make that personal judgment call. Um, Cause everything else, if it looks great and everyone else is on board and she has, you know, I would say the support is where I would like immediately go to is what's your support system look like mm -hmm. if you have children and somebody with special needs okay well let's look at the support system so, do you do yeah. a lot of questions and a lot of conversation in your interviews where you determine like, communication styles or personality styles to try to give an idea of what would be a good match for someone or what wouldn't be a good okay. match for someone is that part of your process yeah. I, and it's funny because I can tell like right away. I can honestly, I can judge. Um, I, I get someone like real quiet, quiet, you know, surrogates. Um, I love seeing like the real outspoken surrogates with the more quiet like partner. Um, and it's just <laughs> cute to see the balance, you know, that they it's like or yeah, it's just it's just really cute because it's um, you can see the dynamic of the household and how they complement each other. But then when you speak to a surrogate, you can usually tell um, just by having that. And that's the whole point. Like, this is the point of having these interviews is to say, um, are you open? Are you open to this? Can you consider that? And, you know, it's, it's really important because you have, uh, intended parents who you're carrying their child. You're going to have to have a level of openness and going to constantly be trying to consider more than one person's feelings in a decision. And so it's very important. Um, and then we also, the PAI will give us great insight into their personality, their uh, communication styles and all of that. And so we've talked about in our time together how uh, important it is to communicate. And even if you're not the strongest communicator in, in this realm, we have to be. And, you know, that's what I'm also here to, to help with is we have to be transparent, as transparent as we can be and communicate um, the important things, you know, the things that matter, the things that we're requesting. Um, and we have to all kind of be on board and commit to that. We even are trying to coach the surrogates to understand that why is communication so crucial? And a lot of agencies, when you start this process as a surrogate, they're looking at how are you communicating? Are you 
being responsive when when we kind of take these next steps. Okay, now you're working on your profile. So here's the next steps. I want you to complete that profile. And then in a week's time, we're going to schedule the profile review. And then when you get to this next step, we're going to start this next process. And we're evaluating her readiness and her eagerness to proceed forward because we know in the professionals that when it comes to medical screening, she's going to need to be able to schedule that medical screening and then be responsive and communicating with that clinic and getting that appointment scheduled and then showing up for that appointment and being responsive and open dialogue with that clinic because that clinic can, if they feel as though that surrogate isn't really being responsive or quick to communicate and they're mm -hmm. having a hard time getting a hold of her, you know, that could be a judgment call in the clinic saying, you know what, I don't think timing is right. We've seen it happen. And so preparing these women so that they can be successful. I want them to have those tools to understand what is it going to look like when you get through medical and then proceeding to legal. And then when you start that medication process, how crucial it is to take those medications and and being in a good dialogue to know what that expectation looks like, you know. So when you're doing your screening and you're assessing these things, are these things you talk about with her and kind of like what to anticipate, what to expect? Yes. And we can gauge that before we even have a conversation by how quickly she may respond to the email to make, right, to make the, the appointment for the evaluation. And so... Um, if I haven't heard from a surrogate in like a day or two, um, I will always assume they didn't get the email. I never, I never put the surrogate in a space in my head where I'm like, well, she must not be responsive. She's not a good communicator. I don't do that because life happens, things happen. And I like to hear, hear that out. Uh, if there's a lot of rescheduling of the evaluation and there's not consistency, that's a bit of a red flag. And so when I go into the evaluation, I already kind of like understand um, the type of communicator they are just based off of the interactions we've had non-verbally. So okay. when I am entering into the evaluation, um, having, having the conversation about how important it is to like follow through with schedule, you know, scheduling appointments and being available. Um, we have those conversations, but I think it's important to validate them first because this process, I always ask, how has this process been for you so far? And they all say it's been either like great, interesting, but I always hear there's a lot of like hurry up and wait. And I said, yes. Absolutely. Like, and that's something that we have to validate for them. Um, because if they're feeling like, well, nobody really is, nobody cares anyways, because this process has taken so long, that is absolutely not true. Um, it, it, there's just so much going on behind the scenes. And so communication is just as important for the agency to the surrogate, right? Uh, for like the medical professionals, which we don't really have control over, but it's important that they understand this is going always like, I'm not going to sit on an email that I see from my surrogate that's in distress. I'm not going to sit on that. That's going to be something that this is something I signed up for. And I'm committed to being responsive, being supportive and letting them know, I hear you, I see you. So it's all of our responsibility. And this isn't just something that we are saying, hey, this is on you. You need to be responsive when we call for you. So I try to validate them that like we're all kind of like on the same wavelength, but I always say, you know, this process will speed up, trust me. And then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we're this far into it. Yeah. 
So, but it's, yes, communication is something that we always go over and there's, they understand that. Um, I think they get a really good perspective and some good insight that they weren't aware of when we go through the evaluation, because we have to be able to explain why the why behind it. Yeah. And sometimes we explain so much that they get info overloaded. And so yeah. they'll say they haven't been told something and, and they mm -hmm. probably have, but if you've only been told something once and you were being told lots of things at the same time, mm -hmm. you can only absorb so much. So I think surrogates do get overwhelmed with all of that. I think the thing that was important to me when I first became a surrogate or that helped me was whenever the ball was bounced into my court, I knew that I need to bounce it out as soon as possible. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to be the one that's holding, holding it up, potato, you know? Yep. So if somebody asked me for something, I would try to get it back to them right away. And I think some people don't have that mindset naturally. They're just like, yeah. Oh yeah, I've got a lot going on. I'll get to that when I get to it. I'll schedule, I'll schedule my psych evaluation. September is really busy. I'm going to schedule it for October. And it's like, that's so funny. Um, yeah. there, that is, it's a sense of urgency. And so mm -hmm. I always say, you know, we, we don't want to make you anxious. That's not the goal here at all. It's really the complete opposite. I distinctly remember a surrogate I used to support and she was, she came back, she did like two journeys and, um, she was chronically just chill, just so like, yeah, you know, okay, I'll, I'll check my schedule and see if that'll work for me. And I'm thinking in my head, well, it has to work at some point, something has to give here. But I think the overall consensus of the agency was that she didn't care. Mm -hmm. And that was so difficult because of course she, she cared a lot. It was just, that's her personality. And she never operated um, under a sense of urgency unless it was for her children. She put a lot of energy into her children. And so I knew she was the best surrogate and she really did care. And so I had to let her know, hey, I know how much you care. When when it takes a while for you to make an appointment or you sit on something too long, the message that's being sent is yeah. that you don't care. So and I know cool. that's not true, right? So I, you know, I want you to be able to send the message you intend to send and um, this will help that. And so it's just, a, it's, it's really about understanding the why behind we, what we all do. So good, so yeah. good. What, what, okay, so now we, I'd love to dig in because I know that this isn't something that's offered by all agencies. It's something that we value so much so that we want the surrogates to have that ongoing support through this process. Talk a little bit about what, you know, the, how the whys on why that's important, but then also the value that they're getting from this and really even the whole journey, the agency, the intended parents by this ongoing support offering to the surrogate and, and some of the hurdles that you see that if it isn't in place. Well, uh, it can make, a, make or break a reason why a surrogate uh, even maybe could come back for a second journey. And I've seen that. Um, so the the on what i intend to do is emotionally support the surrogates through the complete and full process of their journey from the very beginning till months after because as we know our bodies you don't just have a baby and then you're like well i'm good it's actually still going for you because if you haven't done surrogacy before it's very foreign to go home without a baby 
when you've had a child in the hospital and you go through this whole process that's like pretty euphoric, right? Of, mm-hmm. of handing over this beautiful child and seeing like the union and all of that. But then life still has to go on for you after. And so that's a whole adjustment in itself that has to be tended to, supported and processed. Um, so it's imperative that we support our surrogates emotionally because who else do they have? I mean, unless they have like a friend that's gone through it, but who else do they really have that they can speak to about what they're going through that is truly just there for them, just advocating for them, understands the process, understands what it's like to go through this process and be able to truly support your emotions as they fluctuate and to prepare you. And also life happens, you guys. Life continues to just happen as you're 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 carrying somebody else's child. I wish that we could say, oh, we've built this bubble for you and there's not going to be anything negative that happens. You know, um, you're all your all of your family are going to behave and there will be no conflict. That's just not the case. <laughs> People continue to like live their lives. Things happen. You know, we have to go through the same process um, as if we weren't carrying somebody else's child. And so it's it's my due diligence to support them through that too. It's like I tell them during the evaluation, we don't even have to talk about the surrogacy. Like what I want to do is I just want to make sure you're feeling supported with whatever that is, your home life, your, your family life, work life. And the surrogacy, you know, what's the relationship like with the intended parents right now? Sometimes it's not perfect and they don't know who to talk to and who to turn to, because what if I tell the agency how I'm feeling? Are they going to, you know, are they going to tell the intended parents? Are they going to, you know, think negative of of me? What if I want to do this again? Am I not going to qualify? There's just so many things that go through their, their mind. But what I've seen with an agency that I worked for is that they've literally, surrogates have literally chosen to go with that agency because of the emotional support they receive because the other agencies just don't provide it. So it's very rare because it's another cost and pe- and that's a, it's such, it's just detrimental to the well-being of the surrogate. It really is. It really is. In fact, we, we, we were so excited to have that be part of our process here at Sergeus and have it be not it just during mandatory. Mm-hmm. mandatory monthly sessions, but also we offer and have that existing because we know those that hormone dump after you deliver um, <clears throat> and going home and maybe you're pumping and struggling yep. to produce the milk the way you would if you were breastfeeding because it's going to look different. It's going to feel different, you know, and um, I know I got to go and have lunch or excuse me, dinner the other day with one of the surrogates that is on her second journey with surrogacy is. And um, she went on and on about how amazing her support person is and being able to have that ongoing support. It, it just validates that. So mm-hmm. you, what you're doing is important work it's so and important. it's crucial work. So we and are I on. wish I'd had it. I wish so much that I'd had it in my journeys because there were times where I was struggling to communicate with my intended parents. And I think I lacked perspective on where they were coming from. And if I could have talked through those feelings with someone like you, mm-hmm. you would have probably helped me arrive at those conclusions or how to communicate what I was needing or what I was feeling without becoming upset. And something I've been noticing a lot with um, 
surrogates. It's something I noticed for myself, but I think I was prepared for it the second time. The first time I wasn't, but that that feeling of emptiness when your journey ends, it's not about missing the baby. And I think women don't want to lean on the support people they have in their life because there's a lot of people that are going to be like, I told you so, I told you we're going to get attached to that baby. And now look at you're depressed and look, I knew this was a bad idea. But really it's the all-consuming nature of a surrogacy journey and the constant communication with intended parents that's happening in the end up to birth. When that baby is born and those parents go home with the baby that is now all-consuming from their 24 hours a day, the surrogates can tend to feel like they've been brushed aside or they don't matter or the intended parents were faking caring about them. They didn't really care about me because now, look, they're not even checking on me. They're not even thinking about me. They don't talk to me anymore. They don't have time for me. And I see that a lot, or I've heard it from, mm -hmm. from women at the end of their surrogacy journey. When I talk with them, I always try to explain that perspective, but also I think it's just really important to validate that feeling. Like yes. you're not, you're not necessarily right <laughs> about that. That's right. not true because you're feeling it, but you are feeling it and it is real. And I think it's important for intended parents to think about their surrogate and how she might be feeling mm -hmm. and to make an effort to connect and reach out with her and make sure that she feels their gratitude and that she doesn't feel that abrupt break and yeah. communication. And I don't know if that's communicated to intended parents a lot, but that's one of the things that I've always wanted to do in our mission and starting our agency too, is to help intended parents have the understanding because I know they love their surrogate. I know they care about her and they wouldn't want her to feel that way but they probably don't even realize that she's feeling that way. And if they knew, you know, they would, they would Absolutely. make an Absolutely. Have those tools. Yeah. Um, so we have, we've on, we've actually um, have, and it's not required, but we strongly encourage the intended parents to connect. And we offer that part of our agency just to be able to give that ongoing support because there are those milestones preparing for legal preparing for an embryo transfer and that that second stage of the second trimester screening scans, you know, preparing for a delivery day, mm -hmm. being able to have that person that you can talk to through those things and maybe how you're feeling. And in that moment, it's just a really invaluable. It's, it's you, you don't get that anywhere else, you know, so it's I nice agree. to be able to have those professionals. I think um, as you know, when talking about how it feels, it's like a loss. I think you go through almost like um, a bit of a grieving period after you come home from the hospital. You're so happy. It's it's so confusing. It's like, yeah. I don't have yeah. a baby, but I don't want one. Yeah. I miss my intended parents, really. That's what I hear the most. I just yeah. miss my intended parents. <laughs> it's, you know, that's the relationship that has been built over the course of a year. And, and we got so, you know, um, involved with each other. We are communicating all the time and I haven't heard from them in like a few days or a week and I feel forgotten. And it, and it, it's like a loss and it, there's some grief, I think coming off of that high of constantly preparing and getting, it's like, it's like getting excited for Christmas. And then Christmas, it's like, we all have that holiday hangover and it's like, yeah, that come down. It's over. Like that's it. Now what? So it's important that we, like you said, validate that and say, this is so normal. And 
let's talk through this, but also time. Time is so important. Hormones are very involved. And so it's like, let's give ourselves some time. And so I really love to, at the end, um, check in a little bit more frequently because sometimes one month is, feels like a year because we are, we go through so much change in those couple months following, you know, delivery. So Mm -hmm. understanding that, yes, here, remember what it was like when you brought your newborn home? That's what they're going through. Sometimes that's all they, oh my gosh, I am sure they're so, so busy, but it doesn't mean the way they feel is invalid. Yeah. You know, so good. So, yeah. I remember yeah. my first they're not journey. They're not doing anything. No, let alone they're not sleeping. <laughs> I, my first journey, I delivered, I had a really close relationship with the intended parents. And after delivery, um, they were ready to check out. They came into my room and, you know, they gave me a hug and I got to see the baby and we said our goodbyes and my husband was standing there and they walked away. And a few minutes later, I burst out crying and my mm. husband's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? You know, are you okay? And it was really in that moment because leading up to that, I was spending days with them. We would go walk on the beach, trying to induce labor, spending dinners together, all of us together. And I was just realizing it's done. They're going to be busy. They're going to be preoccupied with this sweet baby. They're probably not going to get any sleep and it's done. It's over with. And you know, now what, what next? And after I got myself together and knowing that I had all these hormones just running through me, um, I got a video like an hour later and if they were, they were introducing their sweet puppy to their baby and walking into the house and then showing this video of like, welcome home, sweet baby that we've desired for so long. And they sent that to me before they sent that to anybody. So it was in that moment that I realized, okay, they haven't forgotten about no. me. You know, they haven't forgotten this process. And and that just in its, in its entirety, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, when can I do this again? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you That's know, so and decided. Yeah. I decided after my first journey that... I would plan a vacation four to six weeks after delivery for each of my subsequent journeys because it gave me something to pour my Mm. preparation energy into so that I could pour my focus into something else rather than getting ready for delivery. It's like, okay, where's the best places to stay? Or like choosing my flights and choosing what activities I'm going to do and then going to do that and then having that time with my family in my life and drinking a cocktail wherever <laughs> I'm going because I can, um, that helped me so that my postpartum period wasn't as hard in my second or third journey. But I do remember in the first journey feeling like really lost, just really untethered and confused about what, like, what is life now? Cause this right. has occupied so much of it. And now I'm like, well, it's, there's such a vacuum mm-hmm. of, of focus and energy that you have to like redirect it somewhere and that's challenging what would you say a successful story would be an example of having you as i mean in this in this field that you're in um having this psychologist and that psychological aspect of it and the outcome really being a positive one for surrogacy well so and I don't, I, I, it's funny because I don't want to scare anyone. Right. But there are uh, matches that have happened 
um, that were not, I think, um, to be very careful how I say this, like ethically done or, um, you know, just in the past when working with agencies. Um, and so having a surrogate who feels, you know, maybe there's, okay, let's, let's do it this way. Not a lot of communication between, from the IPs, mm. this being more of a business feeling for the surrogate. Um, and what picture that paints for her. Um, and feeling a bit maybe disappointed, right? And so having the um, check-ins with her monthly was literally the space in which she updated me on all of the happenings, right? Like on an emotional level. Of course, she had to let her like, um, let the agency know things and stuff like that really letting me know what was going on and then also sharing some of her disappointment and her feelings in regards to not being able to share it with the intended parents. Um, and so being able to, to give insight to her as to what their experience may have been up until this point totally turned her perspective around as to, oh my gosh, I don't have to be sad that there's not a lot of communication between us because I truly only have my experience as a mother, right? And then what my expectation was coming into being a surrogate. And I think that's what wasn't well-matched was, hey, this is my expectation. And then being able to say, well, these intended parents may not be the best fit for you because they're going to have a different expectation. And so but giving her insight into what their experience may have looked like without sharing things that don't need to be shared with her and shouldn't be shared with her. It really turned her whole experience around because then she began enjoying the process rather than feeling this sense of sadness or, or neglect, you know? And so we did that pretty quick in the process after I would say heartbeat confirmation, because it was so important. And I always let her know, you have this space to share and to get excited. You know, you can email me pictures of things if you want to share. And so allowing her to have this support and ongoing support, um, when delivery actually happened, she was able to go into that day so lighthearted and without expectation, without, you know, she, there was some very kind of, we lined out a lot of the, what the day was going to look like. But as far as her expectations emotionally, she really didn't have any. And I'll never forget the check-in we had after delivery. And she couldn't have been more surprised because she got to meet them in person because they had lived overseas. And the amount of gratitude, the amount of emotion that filled the delivery room and their appreciation for her just was, she got to like, be right there with them and feel it. It was tangible. And she just felt really full, I think, after mm -hmm. that. And she said, you know, I could have gone this whole journey totally sulking and like, I'm so sad that I didn't have this experience with the IPs that I wanted. And I'm so happy I didn't. Mm -hmm. so because she was making a lot of assumptions about what the lack of communication meant. And mm -hmm. it sounds like the, that story wasn't true. Um, no, it was not true. It, it could have been and it, and it could have been so it's beautiful sure. that it wasn't and i'm glad that she 
had that experience in the end without expectation that makes it even more beautiful when you get to see mm-hmm. the parents like truly seeing you and they just didn't know how to show that appreciation during the mm-hmm. journey it sounds like i know there are there are agencies there are agencies <laughs> i've worked with agencies where the matching is done based on what the intended parents want and need mm-hmm. and the what the surrogate wants and needs is asked of her, but then like stuck in the shredder because nobody really ever cared or was going to consider what she wanted or needed out of her match. And that's awful. I think there are the right intended parents and the right surrogate for everybody who safely qualifies to do this, but pushing together a match, discarding someone else's desires and expectations is such a recipe for misery and disaster. I don't Mm -hmm. know why. I don't know why people do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and, and then also being able to shed light on perspective as far as the surrogates are concerned, because a a lot of them, they go into this with this really excitement and joy to be able to help and meet this person that they're going to be going through this journey with. But a lot of intended parents, this is their last resort. Mm-hmm. You're their hope in this, but it comes with some sorrow. Maybe they've had loss themselves. Maybe they've had several miscarriages and really sharing that perspective so that when the surrogate's going through this, she understands they might be a little standoffish in the very beginning. They might have shared that they want a relationship with the surrogate. But then in that, you know, really all those fears are coming up and mm-hmm. and boiling, you know, bubbling up and they're realizing why why is the intended parent not reaching out to me? And it might be because they haven't even got to this point of being able to get to this successful stage in the pregnancy. So sharing that perspective, then they're they're able to, I guess at least for myself anyways, I was able to be like, oh, okay. And then I was able to be able to open myself up and allow for that relationship to have happen even more. So knowing that these parents have gone through something and that's something we don't know what that looks like. Exactly. Even down to, well, why are they choosing a boy embryo over a girl embryo if the girl embryo is the strongest? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they had a loss and that, that loss was the opposite sex. And they are just they, that the thought of carrying another boy after losing their boy yeah. is too hard for them, you know, and mm-hmm. just sharing kind of that perspective that goes into this. We don't know the why everybody's why is different. And so just mm-hmm. really understanding that when we're entering to it is huge. So Agencies true. Don't do that so much anymore. So we're trying to bring it back. We're trying to really have this be a place that our matching team is thoughtfully matching and mm-hmm. hearing what this area is looking for, her intentions for this journey and the intended parent, but then also giving the right perspective too, because you might right. go into this thinking one thing, but it, it will look a little different, you know, exactly. or a lot different. <laughs> and some, some people, I, I know like surrogacy has been painted lately as being, uh, it can be transactional. And I think in some cases it is transactional. And I think if, um, that's what both sides want, then that, that's not an issue. But I think when they're not in alignment on that is when you have conflict. I wonder if you, in your experience in general, do you see surrogacy as being transactional more often or less often? Like, Do you think that's a, a rare instance where it feels like a transaction or do you think it's a common feeling? Um, from, I think that if it's from the outside, how 
people perceive surrogacy as an opinion, I think if they see it as transactional, that's a choice. They're choosing to see it that way because they don't truly either understand what can come of it, what it's for. They've never actually had to experience anything, um, you know, that in, that is kind of um, involved um, with the experiences of maybe intended parents. Um, and so I think that is a choice to see it as transactional. I feel like it's moving in the direction of not being seen as transactional. I think that that may have been almost like, I don't want to say um, an old school thought, but I, I really think that there was such a lack of understanding of what surrogacy is. Like, what is it actually? And I mean, I see that even in my interactions with, um, like I was telling you during evaluations, when um, I say the older generation, most of the time, because it's like, our, our parents, you know, they're like, what is that? Because they're just thinking you're out here having babies for people um, <laughs> and just giving, you know, your children away or whatever the misconception might be. And so I think that that can be a choice. I think it's if you don't do your research, you have to do your research. Um, and then if you, if you just don't think it's right, that's fine. That's your opinion. But it's really an act of love and compassion. And it's a bringing together of, uh, you know, people who can't have families in the conventional, traditional way, but also thinking about the bonds that are created through this process, the connections, uh, they're just so beautiful. And, and like the families that are brought together and, and I feel like it's just an act of love. Um, but I don't see it going in, I don't see the opinion going in that way of transaction anymore. I feel like it's starting to be understood more and maybe that's because it's kind of out there um, in the media more. And I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, uh, matches and journeys that appear to be more transactional. Um, they may seem that way um, if they're like, you know, not as um, involved with one another. But I just don't think you can make that assumption. It's such a big commitment on both sides. And it's such an act of trust on both sides, too, that I don't think anybody really enters maybe enters into surrogacy but gets all the way through the process to the other end still feeling like it's no. a transaction in any way no. like you're so invested in and i never hear anything from surrogates other than like i want this so badly for my intended parents i want mm -hmm. this for them yeah. and it's like surrogates are by nature i think people have this idea because there's compensation involved that it's not motivated by selflessness. But I do think that no matter how much money a surrogate is being compensated, it's really a priceless thing that most people would never do mm -hmm. for someone, mm -hmm. no matter how much money it paid. Totally. They would never do it. And so I think it's absolutely unreasonable that anybody would assume a woman should give of her body and her labor that much, like right. literal labor uh, for no compensation. That's just crazy to me that anybody would think that that's normal um, or a normal thing to ask of someone. Mm -hmm. But I still think women that do this are just so special and unique in the amount of love that they have to give to strangers, people that are strangers at first. Yeah. And they just want to help. Like, yep. I big hearts. Beautiful. Big hearts for sure. And it's a forever, it's a forever thing that you can walk away from being proud, you know, I mean, 
being a surrogate is aside from being a mom is one of the one of the biggest things that I hold so so dear to my heart as being this like I did it you know Mm -hmm. I can say I did a lot of things but this is something I'm so proud of and that's the feeling that you get when you walk away from this process is like this over overwhelming awe of like wow okay I did it and I did it and it was beautiful and maybe you don't have a relationship with them afterwards you know maybe that looks different for every every surrogate and intended parent in that relationship, but you still walk away feeling like a superhero. You know, I, I look forward to those conversations, talking with the surrogate after she's delivered and talking about D-Day and mm. seeing those intended parents hold that baby for the first time. It's such an, it's such an amazing thing that it's like my favorite thing to do is talk with these women after they've delivered. But also, so, you know, you just realize women are badasses. Yes, we like, are. What, <laughs> what can't we do? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah it's tr- truly i mean the and then the pumping or not pumping and suppressing like it's not a journey that ends after delivery it it lasts a good while after and it definitely impacts your life in unforeseen ways beyond the foreseen ways that it you know mm-hmm. it will um but I, I, I'm glad I stumbled into it and I'll always be grateful that I got mm-hmm. to, that I got to carry somebody else's babies and that they trusted me to do it. Like, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's pretty huge honor that somebody trusted you to carry their child. Like what greater active trust is there than that? Seriously, there is none. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on this with yes. us today. We are, we are honored to have you on, but also just to be able to, reap the benefits of your wisdom and, and have the ability to support these women uh, through their journeys. So it's, it's, I know Sunshine's known you for some time now, and, mm-hmm. and I've had the opportunity of getting to know you now, having our amazing women that we're having go through their journey and supported by Allison, which is just, it's thank been great. You. So thank you. Thank you guys so much. Seriously, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I am so grateful for the opportunity to be doing this with you guys. I mean, it's honestly just, it's exactly what I'm meant to do. So mm-hmm. I'm really, really proud of, of where we're all at right now. This is exciting. So thank you. Me too. Thank you. We appreciate it. And I wonder if there's anything, um, last words that you would want to share with anyone, mm-hmm. um, parents, surrogates, agencies, words of wisdom from Allison Trun regarding oh, wow. mental health and surrogacy. You know, honestly, mental health is just, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to share when, you know, you need support. Don't be afraid to reach out for support. I mean, I don't care who you are. Everybody needs it. Um, But when it comes to surrogacy, I am just so honored to get to connect with these amazing women. And it truly is my greatest honor. Like, I I just think that I am, I get, I win in this. Um, I'm taught so much by even you guys, um, but everyone that I work with. And I think that if you don't understand surrogacy, you know, do some research, you know, and just it doesn't mean that you're getting involved in it, um, but find out why people do it and, you know, read the stories. Um, And I would just say, like, considering all perspectives and and being curious about why people do what they do why we do what we do. It's what I always say is be curious about yourself, you know, um, choose to understand 
who you are and why you do the things you do. And when we can understand ourselves and understand where other people are coming from, that's where like love and compassion is created. So that's what I would say.